Well, as you're turning to Matthew 26, reminded from this hymn, Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. Praise God, Jehovah. What a Savior. Sometimes what happens as we get lost in church as we get lost in living life as we we forget just some of the basics some of the basics that that the spotless lamb of god jesus christ came to make not partial not a down payment full atonement how can that possibly be most definitely worthy of praise god jehovah And then the great reminder, what a Savior. See, when you think of that phrase, Savior, it it should immediately remind you that you needed rescuing, right? That that you needed saving. As we were driving over here this morning and just kind of going over the, the river and, you know, leaning over it and taking a, a peek in there. I'm just reminded of people that had to be pulled out of that river. In fact, a couple weeks ago, they were practicing it, practicing saving people, saving people from drowning. Would you ever forget if somebody pulled you out of the river and saved you? Um, if it were the firemen, maybe you would have just kind of a, a, a big picture. I love firemen, right? But in particular, if it was like one person, you know, one person was you know walking his dog along the river and, and saw you drowning in the river and dove in. Would you forget his name? Would you forget the event? You, you would never forget that. You, you would always think that that's 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 Bob, my savior. And yet so often we we forget about our savior. Um, well, and part of that is because and we've been talking about this, our Savior comes in, 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 in different layers, right? Last week, in particularly, our Savior was the King. Our Savior was the King uh, laying out a rebuke. And this week, we're looking at our Savior as, as the Lamb. And next week, we'll see our Savior as, as the Son of God. And so, as we learn and understand who Jesus is in full... Well, maybe sometimes we lose sight of some of the, the, the key attributes like being our Savior. We see that in Matthew 21 and Palm Sunday that as, as Jesus comes into to Jerusalem, as he comes in riding a donkey, riding a colt, fulfilling one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament. This is the king coming into town on a donkey, not on a big old beautiful white horse, not with, you know, 20, you know, prime horses carrying him on a glorious chariot, riding a donkey. Either he's sitting sideways like a girl on a, on a donkey, or you got a grown man dangling over, dragging his feet on a donkey. Either way, it's not a glorious picture of of a king, right? This is how our our Lord came in and 
And we saw in Matthew 21, we, we, we saw that the, the people were praising him. They're, they're ready to, to coronate him as the king. And he comes in and as the king, who but the king could rebuke people at temple, right? He, he, he comes and, and, the, and the king comes into town and he sees what's happening in temple and he overturns the money changers. They, they, had, they had turned temple into a place of corruption. Then we see Jesus rebuking the Pharisees. The king is, looks like he's going to establish himself as the, as the king, as the ruler. And then, as we saw last week, there's this, this great turn that takes place. As the king backs off the rebuke of the woes and says, Oh, how I so desire to just gather you in like a mother hen, to love you, to, to make it all all right, to, to protect you, to save you. And then that's exactly what's going to take place on the cross. But first we come to Matthew 26. And Matthew 26, and today we're going to continue the path to the cross. In Matthew 26, we're going to see how the king reveals that he's also the lamb. And there's seven elements that we're going to see in this chapter of the sacrificial preparation, this great preparation. Um, between Matthew 21, Matthew 23... In Matthew 26 is, you know, Jesus talks a lot about his, his second coming. And, and we're passing over that right now. But he, the king talks about this idea of a second coming, which should have been a trigger to everybody because it's like, okay, wait a minute. The king is, isn't the king coming to establish his throne? Isn't the king coming to, to kick out Rome? To, to bring Israel back. Now Jesus is saying these things, and he and he says he's gonna that the kingdom of God is coming, and there'll be judgment. Uh, there's gonna be in in, in verse uh, thirty-two of chapter twenty-five. There's gonna be a a separation of of the sheep and the goats. There's gonna be judgment. Uh, Matthew 25, 32 says, And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one to another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. This is judgment. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then the Chapter 25 ends with verse 46. And these will go away into one of two places. Either eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so, as we launch into chapter 26, we, 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 we see the king talking about, look, there's going to be this judgment there's going to be a separation between the sheep and the goats. There, there's, let me be crystal clear here. 
There is an eternity awaiting all of us. And I hope we understand that. Every one of us will last for eternity. Good news. Here's some bad news. For some, it's going to be eternal punishment. I'll let that sink in for a second. I don't know about you guys. I don't like the sound of that. That doesn't sound very good at all. Doesn't sound good to me. Doesn't sound good to me from the perspective of people that I know and love, friends, family, um, even just people that I'm aware of, you know, baseball players I like. I don't want anybody to be eternal punished. But the righteous into eternal life. They're, 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 wait a minute. Tell me about that path. Tell me about door number two that's, that's eternal life. I want that program. It doesn't have to be eternal punishment. It doesn't have to be. But make no mistake. Make no mistake. Do not let the world lie to you. Do not let the church lie to you. Everybody does not go to heaven. Everybody does not go to heaven. Well, Matthew 26, we see that the lamb has a plan. The lamb has a plan. We're going to see that there's, there's sacrificial preparation uh, through the plot. Through the plot. Well, what is the plot? And it came about that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caliphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, lest a riot occur among the people. So what's happening here? Well, we see the king reveals that, um, that the lamb is, has a plan that the through sacrificial preparation, through this plot, this is what's going to take place. The Son of Man, the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. Now that may seem common to you because we've, we've heard that. But you guys understand that crucifixion is, it's not a common, ordinary, everyday thing. Okay? People just don't, Go get crucified. You know, it's it's like the electric chair. Um, you, you you just don't kind of randomly say, you know. By the way, um, I'm probably not going to be here next week. I've got a electric chair meeting that I've got to meet, and so you know, it, it's it it doesn't work that way. Uh, the the. The crucifixion would require such a, a heinous crime that you'd have to be tried. You'd have to be convicted of this heinous crime. And then you would have to be judged to be um, punished by crucifixion. So for somebody to kind of orchestrate their own crucifixion, that would be quite a task. Especially if you don't do anything. Um, so this should be a, a, a 
a red light alert. It's not to us because we know what happens. And this is what's hard for us as we're reading is, is we forget that, that chapter 26, as it's taking place in real time, they don't know. So Jesus is sitting down and he's saying, look, uh, the Son of Man, by the way, the Son of Man is a specific title that Jesus uses. It's a title that's only by, from the Son of God, actually, which is somewhat confusing, I know. But the Son of Man represents that Jesus is both humble, humble, um, and human. Because remember, Jesus, Emmanuel, is God with us. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And by using this, this title of Son of Man, he's, he's showing himself to be both humble and humane. And so he says, Look, you know that in two days, the, the, one of our highest ceremonies is coming up, the Passover, and, and the Son of Man is going to be delivered up for crucifixion. That's the plot, right? This, this is the plot of the story. Um, turn with me to Daniel 7. Daniel 7. Because in Daniel 7... a prophecy talking about God in human flesh, the Messiah, the, or, or Christ, the anointed savior. Daniel seven thirteen says, I kept looking in night visions and behold with clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. This is the son of man title was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now this is, this is what's supposed to happen with the son of man. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and that all the peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting, not temporary, everlasting, which should give us a spiritual indication rather than just a physical, short-term, earthly one, which was not to pass away. And the kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So when Jesus says this in verse 2, he's kind of, he, he throws out this, this major plot of, of the one who's coming to have dominion is going to be delivered up for crucifixion. That doesn't make sense. Before the event, it makes sense to us now, but it doesn't make sense then. Again, it shows you part of the plot is that God is sovereignly in control of the situation before it happens. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caliphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. They want to do it in secret, but not during the festival. Lest right. I mean, look, it's, it's the holidays, you know? They got Christmas, the New Year's. Let's kill him after. I mean, after all, this is our religious holy holiday. You know, we, then we don't want everybody to go crazy on us. So let's, let's do this in secret. So we know that the Son of Man, who's supposed to have dominion forever, is going to be killed and crucified, and that it's going to be the elders and the chief priests who are driving this, but they're going to, 
try to accomplish this after, after the, the, the Passover festival. Um, which ironically, they end up secretly getting Jesus. Notice the switch. Notice that, that, that again, we, we see this quick switch and just right away from, from the king, the king who just got done laying out, the king's going to judge, separate the sheep from the goats. Uh, the king overturns the tables. The, team, the king lays out the woes. Uh, the son of man is the king. But now the king's going to be delivered. Here comes our hard transition for us. Well, the second the uh, second element that we see revealed here is we're going to see the lamb through the sacrificial preparation, through the sacrificial preparation. Verse six. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price, the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Well, we see the lamb through the sacrificial preparation. What preparation? Well, first we, we see, again, Jesus being Jesus. He's at the home of Simon, the leper. The, the leper. <laughs> Jesus hangs out with sinners and lepers and lame people. Um, he ministers to them. He heals them. He helps them. He doesn't partake in the party with them. But these are his people. He, he hangs out with, with the lowlies, as it were. And as he's doing this, this woman comes to him with this alabaster vial of, of perfume. It, it's very expensive. It's supposed to be about a, year's, about a year's wage. Now, why? Because the king is in her presence. The king's in her presence. And so she's, she's anointing the king with this, this perfume, and it's, and it's very expensive. It, 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 the disciples rebuke her, and Jesus, now watch this. Jesus says, hey, she should do it because I'm the king and worthy of praise. That's not what he says. What he says, again, taking that next step forward as the lamb, making preparation for what? Not coronation, for funeral. He's getting ready for a funeral. They're still thinking king and coronation. He's thinking, verse 12, for my burial. Now, she did not walk in the door thinking, hey, Jesus is going to die in, you know, how many hours do I have here? And I'm going to anoint him with costly perfume because this will be really good when he's buried. That's not what she was consciously thinking. But notice what Jesus understanding the moment. He's the way he's taking this in is, hey, guys, this is all part of the preparation for the lamb. 
the, the part of the preparation for the lamb is the lamb is what? Sacrificed. The lamb is a sacrifice. How's the lamb going to be sacrificed? Well, he already kind of snuck in and revealed that, verse 2, through crucifixion. But they're not getting it yet. They're not getting it yet. And so preparations then are being made for this funeral, not the coronation. So the third, <clears throat> the third element we see that the lamb through the sacrificial preparation through through the price. Well, what price are we talking about? Verse 14. Then one of the 12 named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests. Okay, this is his idea. Chief priests didn't go to him. He went to them. And he said, what are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. What's the price? What's the price? Price is betrayal. Betrayal. Betrayal comes with several prices. One is a, 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 a price of 30 pieces of silver, which, by the way, that was a slave wage price. That's the typical wage of a slave. And so we see here in an interesting picture that, look, either you're a slave, a slave, and you serve the master, the wicked master of unrighteousness. We see this in Romans 6. Or you're a slave to righteousness. Judas is a slave, a servant to his father, Satan. Which, by the way, we see in Luke 22. Um, that Satan actually entered into Judas's heart. Why does Judas do this? That's the big question, right? How does Judas hung out with Jesus? Judas ministered with Jesus. Judas was one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus went off and, and what looks like performed miracles with the other disciples, turns, betrays on Jesus. How? Satan actually enters into his heart. John 12, 6 reviews, re, re, reveals to us Judas was also a thief. He, he loved money. The scripture tells us, look, you, you can't love money and the master at the same time. You can make money. You can earn money. You can have money. You just can't love and worship money. You can't make money more important than God. You can't make money more important than people. What do you do with your money? Why do you earn your money? So when you... When you take money to betray Jesus, who's your king? Jesus or the money? Who are you a slave to? Jesus or the money? And so we see Jesus betrays Judas. He betrayed his love, or Judas betrays Jesus. Um, he betrayed his love. He betrayed his trust. But... The reason for the cross, the reason for the crucifixion, the burial, the reason for the lamb isn't Judas. Judas, you and me, we sent him to the cross. Our sin betrayed the king. And our sin and our sin as individuals and our sin as a whole 
was set at such a high price that goats and bulls could never pay. Only The only way that this could be satisfied, the only way that this could be reconciled on a ledger, you got a ledger and you got to reconcile the numbers, right? And the numbers have to balance off. So here's all the sin and here's all the cost. And, and there's the bottom line and the ledger to reconcile the ledger. Well, only Christ could afford to do that. And Christ sees the need. We've, we've seen people like that. We've seen people who are generous and, and they see the need and they come to you. They bless you. They don't ask. They see it and they do it. They know what it takes. And that's exactly what Christ does. And so the lamb through this sacrificial preparation is preparing to pay the price for betrayal that we all contributed to. Well, the fourth element of the sacrificial preparation is through provision, through provision. Verse 17. Now, the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher uh, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them and they prepared for the Passover. So the, the lamb through this sacrificial uh, preparation, is it's a provision. It's a time of provision. They've got to prepare for the event. Now, I don't know if you've ever prepared for a wedding or a banquet or maybe just a really big birthday party, but whenever there's this big event, it, it actually takes organization, right? Uh, it, you don't just show up and it's like, wow, this just magically happened. Um, in fact, these events can almost kill you. Um, <laughs> Not that I speak from experience. Or, uh, and they say labor of love. Boys, that's exactly what it is. No, it's a great thing. Um, but see, we, we take these things for granted. Well, look, there's going to be preparation for Jesus's death. There's preparation for the lamb to be sacrificed. There's preparations for this amazing event called the Passover. And so they go into town and Jesus is getting ready. The lamb is getting ready and setting things up for the preparation of this event. The event's about to take a, a, a pretty big twist, but, but per Jesus's direction, um, they are given instructions. And he says, look, okay, uh, I love this phrase, my time. My time is at hand. Now, again, I don't, maybe it's the athlete in me and, you know, there's just certain phrases like that, like, you know, this is my house. You know, this is my time. You're like, those resonate with me. You know, and you think, in, again, in terms of like, if Jesus, the king, the one with dominion comes and says, it's my time now. What do you think? 
It's time to wield the sword, right? It's time to take care of these heathens, these worshipers of everything under the sun but me. And Jesus, when he says, my time is at hand, isn't saying that as a conquering king. Again, he's saying that as a lamb, as a lamb preparing for a new Passover, for a new Passover. And so the preparation for the provision is for a provision of a new lamb, a new Passover that's coming. Well, so we see now the next, the fifth element of the lamb through sacrificial preparation through, again, prediction, amazing prediction. Verse 20. Now, when evening had come, he was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. This is the the big picture, right, of the 12 disciples eating the, the last supper. And they were eating. And he said, truly, I say to you that one will betray me. So this is the inner circle. This is Jesus's 12 disciples. And in this meeting, he makes the, the, the lamb getting ready for this, preparing for the sacrifices. He's making a prediction. One of you is going to betray me. One of us here is going to betray us. That, that would raise your eyebrows, right? That would, okay, you've got my attention. And being deeply grieved, they, each one began to say to him, well, surely not I, not me, right? It's it's not me. Not me. (laughs) Um, And they're grieved. They're concerned about this. Verse 23, and the Lord said, he who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. Verse 24, the son of man is to go. The man of dominion is to go. Just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Well, we see now that there's a sacrificial um, prediction. The sacrificial prediction that one is going to betray him. One is going to betray him. And it would be better if that one was never born. Why? Why? Well, Matthew 25, verse 46. Because there's a place of eternal punishment. Even for people who walk with me every single day and minister with me. If you reject me, then then it would be better if you were never even born. Why? Well, that shows you how nice eternal punishment is going to be. It's not a place where all the sinners go and party, where all the sinners go and do all that, that super cool fun stuff that, you know, God and parents don't let you do. That's not what hell is. Hell is eternal punishment. Hell is somewhere where you would rather you had never been born. It's not good. The Bible doesn't portray it as a good place, which is why we don't back away from just repeating what the Bible says. Why we would ever want to do that, I don't know. Because as a shepherd warning you, hey, you know, 
out back there's a pack of wolves who are waiting to eat and devour you. And as a good shepherd, I'm not going to mention that to you. Well, you'll probably be okay. Jesus loves you, so you guys are sweet. You'll, you'll be fine. No, I'm going to warn you. Don't go that way. Don't enter that way. Stay away. I don't want to see that path for you. That's what love does. And so the preparation here is through this prediction. Well, again, the, the, the warning is, look, there's this guy here that's going to betray me. We all know now it's Judas, and it'd be better for him not to be born. I was thinking about this, and I was reading uh, John 3.16 this week. John 3.16, I know why they made signs with John 3.16. It's such a great verse. This is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. A little bit more context, John 3, 15, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you may have eternal life. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever does believe in him will have eternal life. Verse 16, right? And whoever believes in him will not perish, not perish. For verse 17, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that he should be saved through him. Jesus came to be the savior. It's my time. What is his time? His time is John's 316 time to help save us so that we don't perish. But here's the thing. If you don't believe in him, well, then what happens? Well, in reverse, If you don't believe in him, then you don't get eternal life. Then you will perish. Then you will be judged. If you don't believe in him, you you will be judged. If you are judged and you don't believe in him, you will be found guilty and you will have eternal punishment. That's the warning. And then Judas, back to Judas, says, (laughs) Um. Verse 25, and Judas, who was betraying him, answered, said, well, surely it's not me, right? (laughs) Um, Rabbi, he said to him, well, you have said it yourself. Isn't that funny how we all think that our sin is like not quite as bad as somebody else's, you know, there's like 12 guys in the room and Judas is a thief, and Judas just betrayed Jesus. And he's sitting around going, well, well, it's not me, right, Jesus? I mean, I've listened to so many sermons of you forgiving people and promising heaven for sinners. You've healed lepers. I've seen guys with withered hands. I've seen crazy sinners. Hey, I've got, look at all these tax, i got Matthew sitting next to me. Do you know what Matthew's done? Jesus, you're not talking about me, right? Matthew. He doesn't get it. And you know what? We fall into that. We fall into that. Somebody else always has a worse resume than us, right? Uh, We all think it's not me. But see, the the sacrifice, the sacrifice, it's it's not a surprise, okay? This is a plan. This is a, a plan 
to save us, to help save us from our own sin. Well, the sixth element of the sacrificial preparation is seen through the Passover. It's seen through the Passover itself. And this, again, is just one of these these key passages in Scripture where there's just such a major shift in what's happening that we just read right past it and don't even notice it um, so many times. We're guilty of this. We, we use it in, in communion. And we just kind of jump in and, and read four verses, right? But now here we see the, the context of this. We see that the, the coming king, that the son of man, who's supposed to have power and dominion and reign is actually coming as a sacrificial lamb to be crucified. And during this, this high holy uh, festival of Passover, Jesus is with the 12 disciples. He's just revealed that one of them is going to betray him. And then verse 26, verse 26, the preparation through the Passover. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Time out. I thought we were here to celebrate Passover. And Jesus says, take, this is my body. Now, the, the best way I can, I can explain this would be if we were taking communion. And as we were taking communion, I said, now, now, now take the bread. This is the bread and it's, it's my body. It's Tony's body. Take this in remembrance of me. Now, you guys should immediately jump up, run out, look both ways first, grab a good-sized rock, come back in and stone me. That would be blasphemy. Listen, it's the exact same thing. Okay, you, you have to understand this, that Jesus is, is they're, they're taking part of Passover and Jesus just kind of, okay, take, take this and this is my body. Say what? And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. The blood of covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. See, we can't miss this. We can't miss that in this preparation for what's happening, Jesus takes a huge shift Again, not as king, but as this sacrificial lamb that is my body. The sacrificial lamb, his blood. And he takes Passover, which is the celebration of God, the angel of death, passing over the the nation of Israel, passing over them, not killing them, not striking down their firstborn. The, the event is a reminder that God is in control, that God is in charge, not only of 
conquering their enemies, the Egyptians, but then saving them. And then the great exodus of then all of Israel after that being set free from 400 years of bondage and slavery to then become a nation of their own. That, 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 the Passover then becomes almost like the 4th of July. It's like that event is then now we're a nation on our own and 2 million Jews leave Egypt. And Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. And then he just kind of slips in this little verse 28 of the covenant. Of what covenant? They live under the old covenant. They live under the Mosaic law. Right? That's the covenant that they've all grown up with. They've only known one covenant. But there is a promise of another covenant. There is a promise in Isaiah and Ezekiel of a new covenant. One that is everlasting one where the spirit will then reign inside of you the new covenant but see they kind of forget about the new covenant in their day-to-day living they haven't really focused on that and so their their great hope isn't for new covenant their great hope is for king to get rid of rome Their great hope isn't for the return of Jesus to take us home, to save us from sin. Their great hope is for a better president. Sound familiar? You get a little lost in that sometimes. Maybe your focus becomes... You you can see how that could happen, right? I mean, not to us. But, but to them, that they would just lose such sight that what they should be praying about, Lord, when are you going to bring the new covenant? I want that new covenant thing. Bring it, Lord, bring it. Come on, tomorrow, new covenant. The whole talk should be about new covenant. And Jesus can just throw these things out there and nobody even knows or really cares. And this new covenant, what, what happens in these, this compacted few little verses is the lamb through the sacrificial preparation through Passover is revealing that Jesus is the sacrifice, that Jesus is the new covenant blood, that Jesus is going to pour out his blood to pay sin, to pay the price for sin. Verse 28. Why is he doing this? For the forgiveness of sins. This isn't just some kind of martyr's death. This, there's a point here. There's a, a, a huge point. And that this sacrifice would be once for all. Not over and over and over and over and over again. Once for all. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing to prepare for. What a great transition. But here's the deal. For, for them, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> see, this is so easy for us to understand it and to read it. But for them, this has not happened. Not only has, okay, we're here 2,000 years later celebrating communion of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
of, of the new covenant. Jesus hasn't even been to the cross yet. See how far ahead of the game he is here? You see how the preparation of what's going to happen with the lamb is, is still just in prep mode? It hasn't happened yet. Well, finally, you see the seventh element of the lamb through this sacrificial preparation. Uh, and we see, see it through presumption. How so? Verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter answered and said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this very night before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. So we see that there's this, this presumption, right? Okay, the lamb is going to be sacrificed. And there's a presumption that by, by Peter, well, yeah, things may go bad, but, but I'll be there. Uh, I'm no coward. You know, I'm going to be around. Jesus tells them. He says to his disciples, he looks eyeball to eyeball and says, you know what, tonight, Yes, there's one that's going to betray me, but tonight you're all going to leave me, all of you. And Peter stands up and says, not me. I won't lead you. These gutless cowards might do that. Um, But I won't do that. It's pretty presumptive. And Jesus says, well, not only will you leave me, you will deny me. You'll not only leave me, you'll deny me. And not only will you deny me, you'll deny me three times. I can imagine how that would resonate with Peter. I will never fall away. I will never fall away. How often have we made that statement? I will never. Now there's some older people in the room much older than you guys, way older than you guys. Um, Not as old as me, but older. (laughs) How many times have you said, I will never, don't raise your hands. I will never. And how many times have you done exactly that? One of the things I want us to understand when we're reading this, especially since you know, we know the story. We, we, we know the, the end result. We, we know what's going to happen. So part of this is we have to understand how does this apply to me? Okay, how, how, what do I need to learn from this? How do I grow from this? Well, part of this, and we talked about this a little bit last week with the woes, right? No, we're not Pharisees. We're in a different position than they were, but... There are things that we can glean about Pharisees like, hey, look, I don't want to be hypocritical. I don't want to make, you know, look pretty on the outside and be dirty on the inside, right? There are things we can glean. And even here, when we look at this, it's like, wow, you know, to think that his disciples, his disciples would 
fall away. It happens. The, the, the bummer is sometimes we, sometimes things happen, circumstances get the best of us. They, they rock our world a little bit and we, we, we fall away. We take a step back. But they all came back to Jesus. They came back, but, but they had a step back. It happens. Be encouraged that sometimes your faith doesn't look that great. It happens to the best of people. It happens to the best of them. So, so don't allow circumstances to shake you. Don't allow them. If they knock you down, you get back up. Don't allow them to keep you down. I like what Jesus says in verse, 30 sec, in verse 32. He, he, after he says, look, they're going to strike down. Here's another, uh, another prophecy that he's talking about. They're going to strike down the shepherd. How? They're going to crucify him. He's already stated that. They're going to kill me. It's going to be a sacrificial lamb. They're going to strike down the shepherd. But after I have been raised. But after I've been raised. He just kind of throws that little. The king is going to allow the lamb to be sacrificed, but the son of God will be raised because that's who Jesus is. And it's his time. And all of this has to take place. All of it in its complete fulfilled plan. And the Lamb works through us. He works through us. He works through us, especially because of us, even when we're overconfident, even when we're presumptive. I, I, I like how verse 35 ends. After Peter stands up and says, not me. What happens soon after? And then Jesus says, oh yeah, you, three times. You would think his partners would be a little more humble or smarter and not do what they're about to do. And Peter said to them, even if I have to die, with, even if I got to die with you, then, then, then I won't deny you. And then all the other disciples are like, yeah, me too. He, he just got done telling Peter, hey, back off, Jack, right? Just cool your jets. Don't be so presumptive. And next thing you know, they're all like ready to go. Um, disciples join in that's how we are that's how we are too we're 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 crowd followers unfortunately peter thinks he's better this is one of our takeaways peter thinks he's better the disciples think they're better sometimes you and me we think we're better why because we know a little scripture because we've been in church for a little while because we are a part of some denomination i don't know we have a title who knows we 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 think we're better we think we would never betray um but the truth is if that were true then jesus would not have needed to die he wouldn't have needed to be on the cross we we could have just handled this ourselves gotten a little you know little yard of, of sheep and goats and made our own sacrifices but jesus was sent to the cross for that very reason because we're all in the same boat 
The king revealed to us that the lamb would be a sacrifice through the plot, the preparation, the price, the provision, the prediction, Passover, and presumption. And one of the great lessons we learn today is that the king, I want to end with this, the king lays it all aside. Jesus drove this whole thing. You notice that he's the one that is revealing everything to them. He reveals it to them. They're not asking questions. He reveals it to them. And ultimately, this is what takes place. What takes place is Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing. And this is an exhortation to us. So when we ask ourselves, well, how much do we apply, right? How much of this can we apply? Where can I go with this? Go go here. Go here, Philippians 2, verse 3. The call to you then is do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing with empty conceit, but with the humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. Um, have this attitude. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ. What attitude? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead, instead, the Son of God, the King, emptied himself. How so? In what way? Taking on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, the son of man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. So how far do we go? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility and mind regard others as more important than yourself. If Christ is able to humble himself, the king, even to the point of dying, um, well, that's our call. That's the call of, of every husband in this room to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Yeah, but you don't know her. You, you humble yourself. You humble yourself. You die for her. You die for her. Unselfishly. Unselfishly. We have to change the way we live. We have to change what our goals and our desires are. This is our goal and our desire. You write this on your, on your heart and you, you scratch it in your skull. You do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. Why? Because Jesus died for you. That's why. That's the example that's set. So our obedience that we so struggle with, we don't want to obey anybody. We don't want to follow anybody. Why? Because we're not humble. Because we're arrogant and proud and think we're our own gods. 
Let it go. Let it go. Humble yourself by becoming obedient to your master, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, how could we ever